Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Welcome back, boys and girls, for another episode of uh, Masala PTI with your hosts, Arvind Srinivasan and Ravi Krishnan. Ravi, it's been a while, huh? It has been, and uh, for the delay that's been caused from my end, I apologize to you and to the listeners. It's been a long time coming, and uh, we had some uh, scheduling issues, but uh, glad to be here again. Yeah, I, I apologize to half of it was uh, my fault. Um, the sad part is we never really caught up or discussed the Super Bowl. So maybe that's where we should start, even though it's a little dated uh, right now. Um, I think it pretty much established the hoodie-brady combo as the GOAT, right? The best ever. Any thoughts on that? Any, any argument you can muster against that? Because I would no. love to. <laughs> no, no, no. No arguments on either one of them. I mean, I was thinking actually that uh, I know a lot of people brought out a lot of uh, stats in favor of Brady now being the best of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously pointed out to the usual gold standard, which is how many championship rings he has. But to me, uh, in addition to that, uh, the thing that really solidified it for me was the only parallel I can think of in any sport in our viewing period, which is the last 20 years, mm-hmm. where irrespective of what situation a team is in, you never feel that they are out of it, was basically the mid to late 90s Bulls, or actually the early mid 90s Bulls. Which yeah, are, yeah. Uh, you know, that series against Utah, I remember, where there was, I think, game five, where uh, the commentators were talking about how Utah had the psychological advantage. But I don't know, there's always, if I was a Utah fan, I would feel slightly nervous about, uh, or queasy about it. And if I was a Bulls fan, I would still have more than. Uh, you know, a, a, a sizable hope that Jordan will bring me back. Mm-hmm. And I think we've reached a situation with New England where I'm sure Patriot fans think the same with Brady, with Woody. Right. That, you know, doesn't matter if we are down 25 in the second half, Brady will bring us, bring us back. So that, if and nothing else, is a testament to him being the best of all time in his sport and his position. That's the scariest part of this for me. Because... Until this one, there was a little bit debate on whether he's the best quarterback in the NFL, all of that, right? Because, yeah. you know, he was tied with Montana for four, and uh, he, he is... Now, now, they're going after Jordan, right? Now, yeah. I am already hearing some greatest athlete ever conversation, which was firmly... Jordan, right? There was really not a whole lot of competition for him. Definitely not in this era, maybe Babe Ruth, maybe Muhammad Ali, you know, so something from the past. But this guy right now has a chance to go after Jordan's legacy, which is like, I'm like, wow. The, the only blemish is both against uh, his, you know, if you stack up his legacy against Jordan or Montana is, I guess, those two losses, thanks to our Eli Manning. 
otherwise he's like firmly uh, there's just no questions asked do, do you think those losses bring him down a notch uh, at least when you compare it to jordan uh, if he has to win if he ends up winning the sixth no i i, I mean fundamentally i don't think he still belongs in that hallowed category we are discussing but mm. the reason for that is in my mind at least not the two losses to Eli mm. uh, uh, you know I just think if the category is the best athlete of all time mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know I start looking into uh, the sheer definition of you know being an athlete and I mean in the Jordan you could say is every bit an athlete so was mohammed ali i mean in fact i play someone like serena williams uh, in that conversation a lot more confidently than i do brady Agreed. brady is That's a fantastic maybe the best of all time in his position i mean no unarguably the best of all time in his position mm-hmm. maybe the best footballer of all time but i personally feel quarterbacks uh, as athletes mm-hmm. uh, still have ways to reach you know say a shooting guard in basketball i I can't argue against that but you do see that you know that's not going to be the uh widely accepted thinking right I think he is athlete. going to get some run as the best sportsman if not athlete sportsman ever and that's with six rings and the losses you can argue against that and this is for LeBron too right couple of different ways number one it's some ways it's impressive that he has even been to seven super bowls right not that's amazing yes same thing with lebron he has been to so many finals that's amazing even though he has lost almost half of it but you can also argue oh jordan never lost or montana never lost so my my feeling is that's where it's going to settle honestly even more so than the argument you make which is i totally agree i think basketball players are the best athletes in in general and of course jordan is you know respected even among nba players as the best ever uh but more than that it may come down to argument about losses and you know um, because we are as a culture we are obsessed with championships and that's right now the question right. there is i'm almost assuming he, he's going to get the sixth at this rate he may even get more what do you what do you think is he has he got couple more in him you know in a in a way it's kind of a, a consolation that we are having this pod today instead of say yesterday because i would have said yes with some degree of confidence yesterday to your comment around the patriots winning a sixth today mm-hmm. i think uh, I, i i would be surprised if they don't with the moves that they have already made uh, in the free agency that just started this morning yeah they got duane allen right yeah they got duane allen and they, they got, got brian no stefan gilmore who's brian gilmore i don't know who brian gilmore is but <laughs> stefan gilmore the cornerback from uh, buffalo wow. uh, so nice. and, uh, it's just 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 ridiculously amazing how hoody seems to have the entire league you know on the uh, <laughs> on eating out of his pants palm like yeah. the deal that they made for duane allen again is terrific but overall overall to your point yeah i mean they were a team that didn't have any quote unquote needs and they've already improved the most i feel amongst any team yeah and then there is rumors on brandon cooks too right yeah yeah brandon yeah. cooks there seems to be something brewing obviously 
Adrian Peterson is a candidate who, by the way, I mean, I'm not as, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be as geeked about it if I were a Patriots fan. But anyway, the not, point is, everyone wants to go to the Patriots. Yeah, I'm not either. I'm Peterson, I think it, that's just more name recognition than anything else. Uh, you know, that reminds me of uh, Rockets getting, you know, Barkley at the end of his career or something. But... Uh, you tell tell me about this. You we were chatting just before this, and you were not very sure about the Brandon Cooks deal either for New England. I I think that would be a great addition for them. They never seem to have good receivers. You know, they make make it work with uh, you know people who are hardworking and very capable. Obviously, like Edelman. I shouldn't say he's not a good receiver. He's a great receiver, but they never seem to have that, you know, top ten can't miss prospect at that position since Randy Moss. Uh, but I got the impression you are not very impressed with them picking up Cooks potentially. Yeah, because you know there are two reasons for it. Number one, I think I've always felt that a reason, and Randy Moss is an outlier to this because I feel he, you know, frankly, is an all-world. Uh, uh, all legend uh, talent at his position but other than him mm-hmm. the patriots seem to be really good at taking uh, uh, receivers who may or may not be super talented but kind of almost nurturing and grooming them to become the receivers that they want for their system and on the flip side they've had uh, receivers who have come in with quote unquote the legacy of talent or speed or skill or you know, performance who haven't done as well to blend in, like Chad Johnson, Brandon LaFell, uh, I'm forgetting a couple of names here. And to me, Brandon Cooks is, prob- I mean, you know, one, my one fear I have is he kind of falls in the latter category than in the former, mm-hmm. uh, wherein he comes in with some, you know, with some assumptions of being a number one receiver. Yeah. And I see no way how he can get that slot. And if he doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, then you know, you're talking about, again, a disenchanted... I mean, similar to what happened with uh, Chad Johnson a few years ago. Wasn't he a That's little thing, uh, over the is, hill, though? Wasn't yeah. Chad a little over the hill when he got there? Who, Chad Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I mean, and again, you're right. I mean, the situations are slightly different. My other point, though, which kind of made me uh, uh, also slightly wary was... You know, one reason I think why Cooks was super successful, relatively, mm-hmm. was, and we've had this conversation regarding Drew Brees as well as Ben Roethlisberger, that they are different animals at home versus on the road. And the biggest beneficiary of Brees being a monster at home, on turf, in a dome, was Brandon Cooks. Uh, his, I realized, uh, in fact, yesterday I was looking at this stat comparison of him at home versus on the road and the results were, you know, night and day. And compare that with a system quarterback such as Brady who doesn't throw deep, uh, whose, you know, most effective uh, pass is that uh, 10-yard down the middle to Edelman or to Gronk uh, and play outdoors, play in pretty bad weather most of the time. Uh, I don't know how Cook succeeds in that environment. So that was my other concern. So to me, frankly, you know, my thought was, this is again a master manipulation by Hoodie stating that, hey, listen, I'm offering Malcolm Butler for the number one wide receiver from New Orleans, and they're willing to give me that. So anyone else that's interested in Malcolm Butler, now you know what price to pay. Mm. 
Interesting. So that's, you know, it's fascinating only in the sense that for me, I think he would be the biggest name since Randy Boss for them, if I, unless I'm missing someone. No, you're right. Um, in terms of pure uh, wide receiver speed and talent and all of that. So, like you said, adding that to already loaded uh, team is just a scary thought. Yeah, by the way, and, uh, that's, that's a better way of stating it because I, can, I agree with that point that, frankly, I don't think the Patriots get weaker, mm-hmm. but the incremental value of a, adding a Brandon Cooks will not be the same as, let's say, Brandon Cooks continued to play in New Orleans and keeps playing in the dome. I mean, my point is the relative increase in value may not be as amazing as one would assume given that he's a superstar talent at wide receiver. Sure, sure. I agree with that. Um, and I guess from New Orleans side, they're just, they have, uh, they are other pieces now. So they are, I guess they're ready to move on, which which also kind of makes sense. They've had some good drafts uh, and uh, last couple of years and then they they're, uh, they don't want to pay him, I guess. Yeah, and they have been, you know, either gotten they've gotten lucky or have been smart about picking up wide receivers who have worked out well for them the last few years, including Cooks. I mean, they've, they've got uh, Willie Sneed two years ago, then Michael Thomas last year. Yeah. Uh, so in some ways, I think Brandon Cooks uh, is, is, is expendable and, compare, and also while looking at the fact that they have such glaring holes on defense, and he's probably the most attractive bait for them to offer. That's true. Anyways, that that should be, uh, you know, that's all we got on Patriots. Looks like uh, they're pretty active this offseason. Um, which in some ways it's not like them, right? They, I feel like they're like Green Bay in that they focus a little bit more on draft usually. Um, they just don't go spending big bucks on uh, free agents and things like that. But everything is cooking for Hoodie right now. How about anything yeah. else caught your eye in NFL free agency before we uh, move on to NBA? Uh, any other moves that were specifically interesting? I looked at some of the Niners uh, moves and I don't know w- what to make of it. Brian Hoyer and Pierre Garçon and it's like moving sideways, right? It's uh, neither moving. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, going back to what you said earlier about uh, Chad Johnson uh, and some of the over-the-hill past big names that the Patriots had picked up at one point of time, it seems like the Niners specialize in that category. Exactly. Picking up players who are past their prime or, uh, you know, career backups or career uh, second-tier uh, guys. Yeah, they got I have no Tony, idea what they're doing either. Yeah, they got Tony Smith a couple of years back and then they got <laughs> Pierre Garçon now and... Uh, like, they got Robbie Gold, I think, just like five <laughs> minutes back. <laughs> you know, I remember they also got Stevie Johnson after he was yes. almost, uh, you know, retired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. I forgot about that. Was it? Was he on the roster last year or is, uh, they let him go after that? No, he, he was on the roster three years ago or two years ago and then okay. they cut him and then San Diego picked him up. Right, right. Um, oh, wh- what about um, 
Brandon Marshall to Giants. That's an interesting one. And I also that's a big move. You know that the the thing is, and someone who going back to our SFFL, mm-hmm. going back. I mean, is someone who actually helped me win that was OBJ Odell Beckham, and I felt bad for him. Not because I mean, not that I need to feel bad for him, but <laughs> uh, I have now some concerns around him being a consensus first rounder next year because I think Brandon Marshall still got it. Yeah, but especially with the size and uh, red zone efficiency. See, the, with the receivers, it goes both ways, right? You could make an argument that it opens up even more for uh, ODB, or you can, uh, I mean, OB, uh, OBJ, or you can argue he's going to steal some touches. I feel like with wide receivers, it can go either way. Um, from a fantasy perspective, the other one that is big, I think, is also Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa Bay. Yeah, because I think that elevates Jameis uh, as a you know pretty serviceable uh, starter, right? I mean that's that's some real talent if you have uh, right uh, Evans, Djax, and uh, the Titan. Great, right? Great, come on, great. Yeah, and plus their running game should be fairly sound as well. Yeah, so that may be interesting one to watch because they have had Vincent Jackson, but that guy has not done much lately. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so this may be the real, uh, you know, but then he's injury prone. So let's see how that goes. Um, yeah, the other one that I was thinking uh, that's, that was interesting, well, actually, you know what, it, it is some, I mean, we, we've already talked about it, but Brock leaving Houston to me was as big of a news as anyone else getting anyone because to me that really should get deandre hopkins back into the you know the the the, the, the good graces of fantasy gods uh, uh, because i think brock literally might be the worst quarterback in the nfl right now so what is what is the quarterback uh, strategy now for houston i don't th- think they have one at the moment I mean, so, I don't, in the sense, they, I don't think they have a starter right now. I have a, I mean, you know, I know they are, they aren't being mentioned. The Texans aren't being mentioned as one of the Romo destinations. But to me, that looks like a match made in heaven. For who? For Romo. Oh, I see, I see. Wow. So, so even without knowing whether they have a quarterback or not, you already like. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins fantasy outlook that tells all I need to know about Brock. <laughs> <laughs> think about it. TJ Yates, Brian Hoyer, yeah. uh, Ryan Mallett yeah. made DeAndre Hopkins like an all-star for you, right? That was the year you had. Yes, yes, yes. And last year was the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, and I always feel other than Brady and Gronk, because again, that's part, that's designed as part of the system. Any other quarterback or any other team for which your tight end ends up becoming the leading receiver for the year or for the season means that your quarterback sucks. Uh, and last year, I think, I, and I'm forgetting the name of the tight end for Houston. Yeah, that's uh, hard to uh, pronounce, right? Fiedrovich or somebody. Who was that? Fiedrovich or some, some... Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I can't exactly. I mean, for him to come from nowhere and yeah. lead the team in receiving spoke more about Brock than him. Yeah. Anyways... That's good. That's a good um, overview of uh, free agents. It's funny, we got back on the air after a few weeks break and it's all uh, uh, NFL again. NFL is a year-round uh, uh, adventure these days. True, 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 true. And uh, so is fantasy, I guess, by extension. 
But let's jump to NBA. Um, so the big news is obviously the Durant injury. And did you watch the Warriors lose yesterday? They look really yeah. bad. They, they don't look good, Arvind. What do you think? Yeah, I was talking to uh, one of our buddies, uh, Derek, and he actually made an interesting point. He's, he says that even with Durant, uh they they didn't really look good they were winning and the numbers were uh, misleading us his the point he was making was that um they don't shoot the threes at the same efficiency level as last year i don't think yeah. anybody can i mean that was uh, amazing season for curry i i guess i don't think he can repeat that neither can anybody else but um with durant i think durant was really efficient and the offense was really efficient and they were winning easily right i think it was still assumed they're going to win the championship now without durant it looks really uh, shaky and i can't even put my finger on what it is because yeah they don't have arison bonds and bogut but they have a few pieces and they should be able to manage without Durant. Right? Not win the championship, but they should be able to look good in the regular season, go deep in the playoffs and on and on. But that's not happening. They look pretty sluggish and uh, maybe the threes are not falling. Um, plus, I also don't know if this Patrick McCaw should be starting. I, I don't know what he does. I, I kind of yeah. like him, but he, I think he's a little too passive. Um, I don't know. What what are the problems you see? Uh, why, what can they fix? You know, my only thing in addition to everything that you've said, which I agree with, is that last name you mentioned, Patrick McCaw. And I think that's where they miss Harrison Barnes a lot. <clears throat> and I completely agree with you that when Durant is in the team or when he was playing, uh, just the sheer scoring ability of his, the sheer you know, offensive skill set that he brings to the table was camouflaging some of the spacing issues that, frankly, I agree with what you said, mm-hmm. uh, that one could see this year versus last year. Last year, they were playing like pretty much the ideal college team. A lot of, you know, movement without the ball, open threes, yeah. uh, you know, uh, run uh, run up and down the floor, uh, kind of like, uh, as we discussed in one of our previous podcasts, kind of like our mid-2000s sons on steroids. <laughs> this year, losing Barnes and Bogut was okay because Durant brought an entirely different dimension to the offense. Now that he's not there and you don't have a Barnes, Barnes was also good at those timely pressure yes. cooker relieving three-pointers, right? I mean, he yes. would have two or three junctures during the game where you could feel his presence. And I think Macau or even Ian Clark for that matter, and Macau is more of a orange, I mean, apples to apples comparison. I think they just don't have that oomph anymore. Yeah. Uh, and when Steph's shot is not falling, yeah. that presents huge problems. So that's uh, the thing, right? That was probably true last year too, but is it the case that it's not falling a little bit more this year? Uh, for Steph, yeah, I, I think his numbers are a little down in terms of shooting efficiency and all of that. Which I don't really know yeah, what he, that is. Is it just one of those things that all shooters go through, or are they defending him differently, or they figured him out? I mean, what's the story there? I'm not sure. 
Yeah, see, you know what? In fact, and you may have heard this as well, but I was listening to Steve Kerr's interview or Bill Simmons' interview with Steve Kerr, and he pointed to a couple of things. Uh, one is going back to the last uh, year's postseason, where uh, first OKC and then especially Cleveland really kind of crafted the ideal defense against vintage Steph, which was basically to uh, you know to hit him and hit him hard to get physical with him yeah and you could see from that point onwards and i think okc started it in game four or five and then obviously cleveland did it rather well mm-hmm. i think not that it made him like a lesser player but you could see that he he looked beat down uh, during the postseason and this year i have seen i, mean, I have not watched every game but in games that it seemed like uh, you know the warriors haven't done well or steph hasn't looked good you can see that they play a lo- him a lot more physically that's one thing uh the second thing is for the first half of the season mm-hmm. and you may have said it before in our podcast it seemed like he was being very deferential to durant almost feeling like i need to get this new guy who's a superstar blended in yeah. so it almost felt like steph wasn't his usual aggressive self and kerr mentioned this in his podcast also it seems like off, I mean, in the, in, since december that's been taken care of but right. now with durant being out it feels like nothing is working again right i think part of it is also it's going to take some time for them to adjust right uh, because when you take yeah. a piece like that it's like a huge reset so maybe they come back i i think uh, uh, you know the spurs are right on their heels as always um and kawhi leonard is just you know he's amazing he's just blossoming every year yeah by the way would, would did, you, did you see that sequence this 20 yeah. minute 20 second sequence where he, yeah. he basically brought the ball up made a three and then blocked harden on the other end yeah and then finished it off with the rebound too uh, yeah, yeah i mean that guy <laughs> amazing. is amazing so and, uh, you know now everyone's obviously come out of the woodwork and talk about him as a viable uh, mvp candidate and one thing that i like when people talk about him is the fact that he was considered a horrible shooter yeah. in college yeah yeah that's yeah. crazy so what do you who do you think is the mvp speaking of so i don't think you can really not pick westbrook if he averages triple double that's just i never thought i would see that in my lifetime but now that i'm seeing it it for some reason doesn't feel that impressive i guess one of the reasons being i think the game has changed so much right i don't think you could have done this in the mid 90s or whatever there is yeah it's much more up and down i mean not to belittle this i mean obviously what he's doing is amazing but what i think is the game is sped up a lot so it's much more up and down which means more possession more opportunity for shots assists and rebounds plus it is getting smaller right they, 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 you don't have a traditional 4 and a 5 at the floor almost never these days you are lucky if you have one big guy and uh, it i think that also opens up some opportunities for rebounds for these guards so the game has changed it is easier but still it's an amazing feat and i would you know not that i have an vote but i would vote for him if he averages triple double what where do you stand i think it's him harden suddenly it's kawai um, that's the comp, yeah. you know names you know i w- Uh, in my mind i would have those three in that order and uh, to me again it's a simple logic when you are considering who the mvp is which is 
who's most who's the player most valuable to his team mm-hmm. and it's you know as clear as day to me that if you take westbrook out of okc's lineup mm-hmm. they'll win maybe 10 games during the whole season uh, without harden houston might win 15 Uh, and that's where i think you know kawai is a fantastic player but i do, i mean i don't so uh, by the way there was some stat right the, even this year without kawai spurs are 5 and 1 oh and really that shouldn't diminish that. him as a player it's just that in my mind if you're talking about mvp it has to be either westbrook and harden or harden mm-hmm. and westbrook between the two by the sheer weight of what he's doing yeah. uh, is is probably uh, a, a worthier candidate Yeah, and Harden, by the way, is not far off in terms of uh, triple double. I think he's almost averaging eight rebounds or something. And I, I can't believe he's leading the league in assists. Already, that's uh, some amazing uh, magic by D'Antoni. Huh? He got that one right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. By the way, speaking of D'Antoni, that's the other thing, and I'm like becoming more and more of a Bill Simmons podcast peddler. But one of his, <laughs> uh, his, you know, that ringer. podcast network sub pods I, i forget which what the name of that particular pod is yeah they interviewed darrel mori the houston rockets guy mm-hmm. and he was talking about how dan tony pretty much throughout his interviewing process regretted and repented the shack trade by the suns he says i promise you that mm-hmm. i'll make houston a much better offense because we had everything working for us in phoenix mm-hmm. i made a horrible trade or we made a horrible trade otherwise we would have been destined for greatness and why i bring that here is that you know you can again see with what he's doing with Houston and with Harden uh, actually working and it yeah. made me think again about D'Antoni as a you know as a as a true offensive genius but you know to be fair the game has changed a lot at that time we thought it was a worthwhile risk right because people are beating up on Suns for being a bad defensive team and all that and i i also thought that was more steve kerr as the gm than d'antoni but uh, who knows what the dynamics were remember steve kerr came in and uh, he, he took the team in a he slightly was the, different yeah, direction yeah he was the instigator to get shack right that's yeah, what you yeah, mean yeah 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 but right. um, yeah that time it made sense it was a gamble no doubt but that definitely changed the chemistry and the flow and all of that I think they didn't go that far with Shaq, right? They went further without Shaq. That's right. Yeah. Speaking of uh, our favorite topic, the Suns, they have been Man. really impressing me the last couple you know, of I, months. I am truly giddy. I mean, then <laughs> I probably won't be this happy even if or when they start winning a lot because then we'll be worried about them losing. Like we'll be worried yeah, or we'll, yeah. we'll get anxious if they lose a game. Now is the best time where you can see <laughs> I mean, they lose. We don't care as much, but you can right. see things developing. Right, that's a good point. We don't care if they lose, but the youngsters are just so amazing. I think, I think we talked about it very early in the NBA season that how we are a little bit concerned about, at least I was, about Devin Booker's uh, streakiness and inconsistency and all that, because we were really betting on him to be the next superstar, right? And yeah. Suddenly he is. I mean, he has completely blossomed over the last. I don't know. Would you say two months, maybe? Um, Absolutely. And then comes you know Marcus Chris, and then there's Tyler Willis, and then there is like now everything seems to be clicking with these youngsters. Um, the mo- what's what's been the most surprising part for you about all that? You know, 
the the so the most surprising part for the whole team in general has been the way Booker and Bledsoe have worked together. I I love you know the the the, the way the team's offense is played since the All Star break. You know the starters mm-hmm. look capable. I think Chris has added a different dimension to the team that frankly I didn't know he was capable of with his black blocks and all of that. Yeah. But I think Bledsoe and Booker are a genuine offensive duo. Uh, from you know, in in the back in the back court. I mean, I didn't realize. By the way, in, just to just to prepare for this conversation, I was looking up stats, and I didn't realize that both of them average over 20 points a game. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Bledsoe. Uh, I think they so the Bledsoe Booker combo works well. Mm-hmm. The player that has really stunned me in the last two weeks since the time I've become giddy about the Suns uh, are actually two players, Ulysses and Allen Williams. Yeah. Uh, U- Julius looks good. I think he's going to be he's going to have a place as that 15 minutes per game off the bench speedster who kind of creates havoc mm-hmm. during the game. And Alan Williams, man, where did he come from? I know. Uh, he, he looks good. He looks. I mean, he looks ten times better than that stupid Alex Len. <laughs> Is he? Was he? Uh, that's a good question. Where does he come from? Is he like undrafted or something? I am assuming so because uh, I've never heard of him. I know he's more popular for his tweets. Yeah. I think he has a pretty interesting Twitter handle, and then obviously he right he was kind of he's always known for coming up with funny tweets. But man, he's a player. Yeah, and Derek Jones Jr. has been good too since the All Star. Uh, what do you call the the you know slam dunk yeah. competition. So that's right. You know, there seems to be some weird correlation between guys that. Do well in the slam dunk contest during the All Star break and their second half performance. Yeah, it seems like you know that acts as like a, like a like a uh, confidence booster for them, right. even though it's like a stupid contest. <laughs> it's probably two things, right? One is their own confidence. The other is there is suddenly some name recognition, and I think the coaches are forced to play them a little bit more. They can Maybe. just bury That's them, true. you know. This happened a couple of years back with Zach Levine too, right? I, I didn't. That's right. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, they go in there when they are really young, uh, so nobody knows them at that point, and then you have to start playing them a little bit more. There's incentive to do that, you know, and uh, yeah, it's been it's everything put together. I think it's looking great. So there are obviously quite a it's a competitive league. There's quite a few. up and coming teams right denver for instance is very highly regarded with all their uh, pieces uh, utah has been in that boat for a couple of years now um, lakers are trying to get in that mix as well um well the sixers the sixers look really exciting in fact they were going to be one of my pakka five topics but yeah. they look like they have a lot of loaded uh, young talent Oh, definitely, definitely on the uh, in, in the Eastern Conference. So, do you think they, the Suns make the playoffs next year? I would be surprised if they don't, uh, because I think the chemistry seems to be building well with the existing set of young guys, and they have to make maybe one or two big splash mm-hmm. free agent signees this summer. Yeah, and most importantly, I think they have a good chance of being what top three. Uh, pick mm-hmm. uh, candidates during the summer, and that should mean they will get either George Jackson or 
Lonzo Ball or one of those guys. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you right. how excited uh, uh, it feels like the Suns' future is going to be. Yeah, that's the exciting part here, the pick. Uh, yeah. In a draft which is very highly regarded. So, let's hope for the best. So, with that, I think we should transition to Paka 5 so that we don't spend the next hour and a half talking about the Suns. So, <laughs> Which we, you we and I dedicate one entire episode talking about yeah, the songs. Which you and I can do for the next three days. Yeah, and, and, and it's right. probably you and I will be the only ones listening to it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, so um, do you want to go ahead with your poker five? Sure, I can go first. Uh, and in fact, so one of the so my poker five, right? So first one is something that we've already. Uh, talked a little bit about and that is Mike D'Antoni and the legacy of him as a coach. You and I, in fact, in one of our previous podcasts talk, talked about how those uh, Suns teams seemed to be, at best, uh, a healthy synergy between Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni and at worst, Steve Nash's magic in action, wherein we were undervaluing or at least I was undervaluing D'Antoni yeah. and it was further enhanced when he had some flop years in New York uh, later on, but what he's doing with Houston now makes me feel so much more uh, convinced that his system not only works, but it has been the signal caller for the new NBA as we are looking at it right now. Yeah. Uh, you think about the fact that what he did with the Suns in the mid-2000s not only was quoted by Steve Kerr, you know, last year after the, or two years ago after the Warriors won uh, won the league, uh, but he, uh, Mike D'Antoni now almost has his own set of proteges or not proteges, but his his fam- his coaching tree developing. Like Alvin Gentry, kind of plays the same system uh, in uh, uh, as a head coach. Uh, obviously, Steve Kerr has kind of led some of that in Golden State, yeah. and Mike D'Antoni himself is doing it in Houston. So to me. The fact that it was an offense-oriented system where you run up and down the court and shoot in seven seconds almost was treated as a joke and then as a nice little gimmick on the side in the mid-2000s. And today, most teams, if not all, would love to you know, have that kind of a system or have that kind of a team uh, it, it, to, to, stay, to stay competitive in today's league. So hats off to Mike D'Antoni for ushering in something which, frankly, wasn't rated as highly when, it, when he brought it in. True, true. Uh, I had had one question for you on that. A couple of years back when they were going to hire Steve Kerr, somebody told me this, very interesting, right? Uh, This person actually hated D'Antoni for the no defense coaching, but he said, believe it or not, uh, for this team, the Warrior team at that time, D'Antoni would be a good coach. Uh, the funny part is they ended up hiring Kerr, who is kind of like taken a similar system, made it better, and you know yeah. really proved that point that that style was uh, a good fit for this uh, talented Warriors team. So yeah, his, his style is now becoming a good fit everywhere, which is uh, interesting. Yep, exactly. So my second pack up five, staying within the NBA. Uh, has to do with uh, uh, you know some exciting teams that are emerging uh, for the next couple of years, and I think this is another topic that we 
we touched upon a few minutes ago mm-hmm. but to me what's exciting typically in a in a lost nba season where i know my team is not going to make the playoffs is still to see whether my team does well or progresses well in the second half of the season and everything that we've seen from the suns looks like you know they've gelled chemistry is kind of building the team has talent they have a lot of young talent and it is all kind of manifesting in wins and close losses but there are a couple of other teams in addition to the suns that make me feel the same way and one of them happens to be the sixers yeah uh, you know i feel they screwed up royally by trading nerlens noel to mavericks for literally next to nothing but even despite that uh, screw up think about uh, lineup of Ben Simmons, Jaleel Okafor, uh, Joel Embiid, uh, uh, you know Robert Covington and whoever they get as one of their uh, top picks next year. Yeah. C- coupled with a very relatively uh, you know re- viable bench with I think they have a guy called Dario Saric who seems pretty good. So to in my mind yeah youth and athleticism is probably more important in the NBA than ever before and the Sixers are likely to be scary going forward i mean even this year there are games where i feel and i've been tracking them closely as well there are games where it feels like they're down by 15 at the half and all of a sudden you find in the fourth quarter it's tied or they've taken the lead and uh, there are some good ones the only concern i would have with them is embiid's uh, health because yes. if he is healthy he in my mind is probably top 3 center in the league right now definitely agree yeah so my third pack of five point is again staying within the nba i was thinking about this that uh, uh, you know the 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 66th ranked uh, player in the nba today in this season as far as points concerned points per game um the 66th uh, player and i'm forgetting who it is uh, totally drawing a blank but the 66th player averages 15 points per game and wow. i was thinking back on what that means to the overall uh, you know the flavor of how the nba is played today and you mentioned it earlier that is it's become a very uh, heavily scoring and offense oriented game mm-hmm. and it made me think back on some of the underrated players in the last couple of decades who were huge for their respective teams winning championships or doing well over a sustained period and i don't even remember how many points per game they had like and i was thinking of players like uh, anthony mason if you remember him from yeah. the mid 90s uh, knicks mm-hmm. and the early 2000 uh, charlotte hornets mm-hmm. he made a couple of all star uh, appearances and his best year was when he averaged 14 points a game wow. and uh, you know so again a completely different face to what the nba was and is but i that got me started to think about who were some of these underrated nba players uh, who were who were pretty crit- critical and crucial to their team so one of them was anthony mason the other guy i was thinking about was shane battier yeah, a yeah. Of, or a few years ago right i mean you never thought of him as being anything more than maybe the fourth or fifth best player if that for a good team but he had some solid uh, runs in the post season uh, similarly pj brown and james posey yeah. kendrick perkins and it all brought me back to thinking about the one guy uh, charles oakley 
uh, who <laughs> obviously was in the news for not so good reasons recently but you talk to anyone and you're in new york right now so i would love to hear from you on what people are saying there but you talk to you listen to anyone talk about okli they talk about him in like hallowed terms that he was you know he was the best or he was great and then you look at the fact that he barely averaged 10 points a game wow. so to me again mm-hmm. part of this is nba has changed scoring has become the calling card but still you still think back on some of these players who were super well reckoned with and didn't average too many points true true that you and, know to, tonight today's game you could argue that greymond probably is one of the few guys who fall in that category agreed yeah. that's a great point yeah yeah, yeah great So last uh, couple of Paka fights again not uh, basketball related one of them is uh, you know the free agency in the NFL and all the hoopla around Adrian Peterson where will he go he is interested in the Raiders but Seattle is interested in him and the Patriots want him I think frankly it's a lot of who you know hoopla over a pretty dull issue to the point where I feel the Ravens signing Danny Woodhead today is mm. a much much more critical move then any team that signs ap uh, so and you know so when, when i realized that i was thinking this I, you know it also dawned on me how far the mighty have fallen where someone like a danny woodhead makes me feel more stronger than wherever adrian peterson ends up going yeah i agree with you there Yeah. And my last point is obviously related to media and sports and if you caught the Oscars you probably saw that the best documentary was uh, award was won by the OJ documentary that ESPN produced. I sat through the whole thing and couldn't have been more enthralled by the 7 hour epic. It obviously was an eye opener in a lot of ways uh, to 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 what were some of the key postulates some of the key uh, game breakers on that case but more importantly it kind of really shed some deep light into the whole uh, simmering racism in LA at the time and since and how that became so much more of the issue than the plain and simple question around whether OJ actually stabbed his wife and Ron Goldman and it is just a fascinating documentary so for anyone that hasn't seen it yet please do you will have your time well spent yeah i saw bits and pieces of it i need to s- cover all of it actually and uh, i agree with you it was the pieces i saw it was pretty interesting well very well made yeah that's a good list ravi so now on to mine which is also nba heavy so one of the things i don't know if you saw uh, you know continuing our uh, uh, hype around the suns i saw a list of 22 under 22 which is supposedly 22 uh, best nba talent or prospects if you will who are 22 years or younger okay and i was surprised pleasantly surprised that there are three sons in that list uh, obviously wow. yeah obviously booker and um, that's a given right and then marcus chris has made it uh, maybe thanks to the last uh, few uh, weeks or whatever and the surprising part was dragon bender was also in the list so um i'm not complaining but i thought he was still a little bit of a question mark because i i saw him in uh here and there and it didn't look like he has found his place yet even though you could see the raw skill set and the fluidity for his 
frame and for his uh, body uh, you could see where he could end up but i thought he has not impressed anybody yet but i was glad to see him in the list uh what do you think about him you... yeah, yeah so i was in fact curious to know what did they attribute uh, for him to be on the list is it just the potential because yeah he hasn't shown much right or yeah, he hasn't he... had the opportunity to show much yeah he hasn't shown much maybe the potential i didn't read through it i just saw the list okay. but definitely the the i i see his fluidity like you know at that height right just being able to move fluidly is half the battle and yep. uh, a lot of these players uh, european players have that and he is really uh, looking good in that uh, sense speaking of um, you know tall nba players uh, my second point was around that actually that how even though the game has changed and uh, big guys especially the traditional centers and power forwards are kind of on the way out or at least morphing into something else um there still seems to be a renaissance of like big guys right who are these yeah. skilled players and i think um, you know they are increasingly being called unicorns and one of them is of course here in new york christophs porsingas um yeah. uh, he is also speaking of bender actually uh, you know he also moves really fluid for his height and really skilled so if you look at him and you look at a i can't pronounce his name in uh, milwaukee and of course um, joel embiid who you spoke about now nikola jokic in denver uh, anthony davis uh, in new orleans cat uh, in a call anthony towns in minnesota and also boogie cousins uh, who is a little bit more traditional i guess and now in new orleans so it's almost like there is still room for some really talented big guys who, who have a different skill set than the you know Patrick Ewings and Shaquille O'Neal of the world but it's kind of nice to see these big tall centers and power forwards kind of carve a niche out for themselves and so it's the pendulum is almost a little bit swinging the other way as everybody is going small these really talented big men are shining even more than before i feel like and in a few years we may get another uh, uh, you know reset of the trend and maybe these guys will be the you know steph currys and russell westbrooks so i thought that was interesting that suddenly there are so many tall guys doing amazing things on the court that was my yeah, second point. by the way just a quick comment on that you are absolutely right and i think uh, it is just amazing to see a flurry of these guys who for their height have amazing balance and control yeah because you are right i mean you think about the uings or shacks or even yao ming they were obviously tall and talented but they weren't the most stable guys around right exactly uh, so and Alex said like the greek freak and even i will not venture to start <laughs> pronouncing his name but yeah he truly is a freak and i think bender is kind of like that as well yes he is mm, you know that's the upside part for bender right and then the interesting thing is it's sign of the times that almost all of these guys are can shoot the three and so on and so forth so that's the hybrid model i guess that's going to work for the next few years that yep. was my second point the third point is staying uh, on you know Joel Embiid and the uh, Philadelphia Sixers which you also brought up i also you know wanted to talk about them here in that uh, 
you know, one of the catchphrases of the NBA has become the trust the process, right? The crowd actually shouts that in uh, <laughs> in this in Philadelphia when Embiid does something amazing because that was uh, the Henkies, the old uh, GM who got fired, his mantra is year after year he tanked and kind of had this process and he got these guys in. Unfortunately, the guy gets fired and our Colangelos are in power now, which which. You know, a family we are very familiar with, Ravi, from our son's days. Yep. And they seem to be enjoying the fruits of uh, his labor. But I feel like it's interesting that the process have actually worked. Like you said, with Ben Simmons and Dario Saric and Joel Embiid, they are really set. And I wonder if uh, Colangelo's are going to get all the credit over the next few years and uh, you know enjoy the fruits of Henke's uh, labor, as well as where Henke ends up next. I, I you know he, he seems to be, you know, he was really hated when he was there, but he seems to have gotten it right in retrospect. So that was my uh, third point. And yeah, think about it. I mean, you have to keep sucking for so long, but then also be smart enough to pick the right players. Yeah. Uh, and, and they have been snake bitten a bit in regards to Embiid and Ben Simmons' injury. Otherwise, you're right. I mean, I think the guy deserves all the credit he never got before. Exactly. But in you know, in in hindsight, they were also maybe a little lucky, right? Because if Embiid was not hurt and they were better earlier, maybe they don't get Simmons. And similarly, if, yeah. if Simmons was healthy this year, they probably don't get whoever they are going to get next year. So they, it just continues. But at some point, they have to start winning. And that's, uh, let's see when that happens. Um, that was my third point. And the fourth one is, you know, a couple more NBA shots. Uh, Nowitzki uh, just hit just 30,000 points for his career. That was a great achievement. Um, I never thought he would he would be so good for so long. Uh, speaking of another tall guy with a lot of skill, I guess he is the pioneer of that uh, movement in some yes. ways. Yes, true, true, um, true. And I know Ravi, we had a conversation offline about where he belongs in uh, from a historic perspective. I still don't think he's a real, you know, he belongs in you know top ten or anything like that. But he is definitely. Uh, uh, a, a successful Hall of Fame career. Uh, what do you, where, where do you think he belongs from a historical perspective? Yeah, I think, um, uh, and I know the conversation you're referring to amongst the group of friends uh, led to us discussing the Bill Simmons uh, basketball pyramid. And if I remember right, I think uh, he is in the 30s, right? If I'm not wrong. Arvind, 30s or 40s? I'm not um, sure. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I believe so. So, And which, frankly, whatever that position or whatever that tier he is in makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he is someone that uh, uh, is not going to break the top 20 anytime soon or should not be. But at the same time, uh, I think his value sheer in, in terms of the sheer points, as well as, as you said, he's again the front runner to the modern NBA specimen. In a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that cannot be forgotten. So to me, yeah, he would be a definite top 50 all-time player. Right, right. That's that's great. Uh, I'm happy for him. Um, I'm also sad for uh, my last point is I'm also really sad for Andrew Bogut, who found himself, uh, found his way to Cleveland. Uh, and then within the first minute of his first game, as a Cleveland Cavalier, he, you know, he gets hurt and he is uh, 
probably out for the season. I thought that was very. I've never seen anything like that where a player. That you, was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, literally gets hurt within the first minute of joining a new team after trade or a waiver wire pickup or anything like that. And and you know it's sad for both him and the Cavs, but uh, especially for him. because he's already one of the reasons probably even he didn't go back to the warriors or warriors didn't even want him is because of his injury prone tag right and this incident doesn't help that for sure exactly uh, and i hope he gets better and stays healthy the rest of his uh, career which which uh, at this point i think he's not more than a, a role player uh, maybe even a backup center but at least he should get an opportunity to do that to his liking the rest of the way. So that's my uh, top 5 and uh, is that a wrap for this episode? It indeed is sir and I thoroughly enjoyed uh, having this uh, podcast you know back in motion with you and uh, yeah hoping that we continue to do this and do this a lot more frequently moving forward. Yep, catch you next time. <laughs>